Rugby World Cup 2023 quarterfinals made for one of the greatest weekends of rugby of all time. So much to talk about in this episode as myself, Chris Hewitt, Brendan Gallagher and Nick Kane look back at a remarkable weekend of rugby and look ahead to this weekend's semi-finals. Before we kick off this episode of The Pod, I just wanted to give a shout out to our friends at Keith Prowse, the UK's leading provider of corporate hospitality experiences. Did you know that they have been offering hospitality experiences at Twickenham since 1979? So they know a thing or two on this. They've got an incredible selection of official hospitality experiences, ranging from a live band, plenty of Guinness on tap, legendary players doing the rounds, some of the best seats in the house to watch the game and loads more. So if you've got a special occasion coming up that you want to celebrate or a key client you're desperate to impress, make sure you get in touch with Keith Prowse by visiting their website, keithprowse.co.uk forward slash Twickenham. I've heard that they're almost sold out of their island packages already for next year's Guinness Six Nations, so I suggest that you guys hurry. Um, I can't really put into words what happened this past weekend, so I'm not even going to bother trying for, for an intro. It was simply unbelievable, and obviously many are calling it the best quarterfinal weekend in history. Um, no special guest this week. It's myself, Brendan, Chris, Nick. Four games, all of them absolute nail-biters. Um, Chris, you missed last week. Welcome back. Just talk about what on earth happened. Well, I think we should start by acknowledging uh, that uh, that was that was as good a weekend of rugby as we're ever likely to see. Um, um, you can talk in the past about great semi- World Cup semi-final weekends. Um, 99 certainly springs to mind. Um, the 2007 quarterfinals when... when England mugged the Wallabies and then France did what they did to the All Blacks. But that was, uh, and Fiji Fiji pushed the Springboks all the way, but it wasn't of the same level um, anywhere near in terms of uh, in terms of standards as much as anything. I mean, the two big games that we knew were 50-50 games were extraordinary because all four sides played magnificently well for huge chunks of those games. Um I th- I couldn't understand how Wales were such hot favourites against the Pumas. A bloke on the BBC managed to say the shock news from Marseille is that the Pumas have beaten Wales. So there, there, there's another sports presenter who knows everything there is to know about the great game of rugby union. I mean, Jesus. And, and Fiji made a better fist than I thought they would against uh, England. So absolutely extraordinary um, we've had much to say about World Rugby and their scheduling of this tournament and, and making the draw um, uh, as early as they did, which was ridiculous. But they've ended up giving us three three World Cup finals rather than rather than one. Um, they were fantastic games. Um, I'm heartbroken that the French lost because I think that the romance of the tournament was pretty much wrapped up in them. And we lose something exotic, for want of a better word, with their departure. But that's to take nothing away from the Springboks, who were who were superb. It, were it would have been better. It would have been better, Chris, if those two um, outstanding games and the two uh, the two others were weren't half bad either. But the two outstanding games have been semi-finals. That would have been better. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I'm, you know, I, I would I I won't row back on the fact that they screwed up the uh the draw we've got two teams in the uh semi-finals of the world cup who ca- have come out of the weakest pool have had the easiest passage 
by by some distance. And you know, I mean, if they manage to uh, produce performances against the two favourites, uh, New Zealand and South Africa, in the semi-finals, well, you know, maybe may, maybe we can re- revisit it. But um, if it's uh, if it's sort of wins by a distance, um, you know, the, the the issues surrounding the early draw will 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 come back to bite them, and and it shouldn't happen again. No, I agree with that. Do you, do you think that um, maybe it's something we can explore a little later? But I just throw it in at the start. Do you think that had those two? The two big matches, so to speak, being the semi-finals, as they yeah. should have been. I mean, any any normal draw would have that. That's what would have happened. Yeah. Um, would would all four sides, all four of those sides, play in the same kind of way with the same kind of intensity uh, in the semi-final, or would well, it certainly would play with the same kind of intensity. But would they have would they have semi-finalitis and just scrunched up a little bit and played a lot more percentages because some of the rugby played, given yeah. given what was at stake. And given the standards of the four sides, some of the rugby played was absolutely exhilarating in a way that you don't always see in semi-finals. Occasionally, no, you do, but it, it's that that's true. But given the quality of the sides, given what was at stake, I'd say yes. Mm. You know, there's no reason to uh, to think that one of them would suddenly have gone into their shells. I mean, the South Africans. Um, you know what did they do? They went back to what they did. They did against England in the 2019 final. They put the ball up in the air, and their kick chase is the best in the world. And, and you know their finishes among the sharpest. I mean, Colby has actually been pretty quiet most of this uh, uh, tournament, but he was absolutely bloody explosive on uh, on, uh, on Sunday. You know, I mean, he he was a match winner. Um, and uh, they all, the thing about South Africa is is that a lot of their best athletes play the sport. You know, uh, I think that they gravitate towards rugby union more in South Africa than a- almost any o- of the other countries, maybe apart from New Zealand. And uh, you you can see it because they have this propensity for finding game breakers in big games. They do it with with. A degree of regularity that it's not an accident for me. Yeah. Just on Sunday's game, obviously people are talking about where it ranks in classic World Cup matches, and I'm actually going to open that door now. Um, Brendan, not just quarterfinals, but all-time games. Where would you put it, especially that first half? Well, yeah, actually, I'm sitting down trying to think of this doing me column this week. Um, I'd say both the the two great semis we had, the quarterfinals we had. Are right up there with the one that is acknowledged as the best ever World Cup match, which is the 1999 semi-final New Zealand uh, France. I mean, you know, it's very very rare that you get the highest quality teams giving it to each other for 80 minutes in that sort of fashion, in that sort of setting. So absolutely right up there. And on any other weekend, the other two semi-finals would rank pretty highly. They were really good matches of rugby to watch. Yeah. Really good really. games. So absolutely historic weekend in terms of quality of competitive rugby. Um, and I don't know about you, I got to Monday morning um, and we've all been there as journalists. You know, you get like the end of the Tour de France, you've been at it for a month, end of the Olympics, end of the World Cup. And there's that massive deflation on the you know the Monday morning depression. 
And I kind of had that this Monday. And there's two weeks of the tournament to go, which is really odd. And there's a lot of rugby, well, not a lot, but there's some big rugby to come. And there's a couple of teams there which I thought have a bit of skin in the game. You know, always had a soft spot for the Pumas. Would love to see England somehow get something out of this World Cup. But actually, it almost felt like the World Cup had ended on Monday morning. Um, everything that was being absolutely brilliant about the World Cup was was there in the weekend. And and the, some of the teams were going. They've gone home. You know, Fiji, France, Ireland, Portugal last week. The, 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 the teams that you engage with and feel, you know, emotionally um, are gone. That's it. No more. The, the, the comparison you make with 99 is, is a good one. I mean, those semi-finals, which were both played at Twickenham, um, he, he, and saved the tournament because it was a it was a Wales tournament. It hadn't been the or a Welsh tournament. It hadn't been the greatest tournament. It, they did save the tournament. But if you if you remember those games, um, on on the Saturday, the Wallabies played played the Springboks um, in a trialless game that went to extra time, and that that was a game for the connoisseur. I mean, I thought that was a great game with two very good sides. It, it was a magnificent contest, contest, but you needed to know a bit about the game to get to, to extract full value from it. The following day was, you could have come back with Mars and understood what the, the excitement of what was going on, but that was a pretty callow New Zealand side. Um, mm. um, Tane Randall, the captain then said afterwards that we knew we were in trouble the moment we, we were playing a very good side, playing well because they didn't have a lot of that experience. People like Fitzpatrick and Michael Jones and, and that, those great all-black players had gone between 95 and 99. They, they'd lost quite a few big players. So, so in, in a sense, that France-New Zealand game, thrilling though it was, does not stack up against the stuff that really we saw at the weekend, because in, in both of those big games, all four sides, none of them were callow. All four sides yeah. were brilliantly prepared. And they were at the top of their game. I mean, New Zealand are getting to the top of their game. The other three are at the top of their game, or were at the top of their yeah. game. And, and, and in a way, in a way, Chris, that that there's there's the rub in some ways. What I think the question maybe that ought to be asked is: Has there ever been a World Cup in which there have been four teams who were so close, so so clear of the rest, and so close to each other in standard? that almost these games were, were were waiting to happen because I'm not sure that I can remember one. I think yeah. that we've always had, you know, may, maybe we've had three teams in it, um, but, you know, one of them's fallen off quite badly at some stage. Occasionally we've got a great final. I mean, look, I'll put, you know, nail my colours to the mast. I mean, for me, the greatest game that uh, that I've seen in uh, in in my journalistic career in a World Cup was England winning the World Cup final in Sydney against the odds because of the way in which it, it was stacked against England by the time they got to the final. Um, I also thought it was a fantastic occasion. I thought it was a very good game. It was, uh, you know, it was on a knife edge. The only final, I think, apart from the 95 final, which has gone to extra time. So, you know, for me, I, I put that up there because it was a great day for English rugby. I put that up there. Um, but these games, in terms of the quality of the games, in terms of the standard of rugby that was played, I think were in, you know, I mean, that's 20 years ago. And I think it was a different level. Um, no, I agree totally, Nick. And in fact, that's what the sort of, I'm, I'm 
listed all the the um I'm trying to see if there's I've, I've listed the ten finals and given them a sort of five star ranking. And in fact, you know, I'd say the England match I'm giving four star because actually it it was everything you said, but as a game of rugby, if you were looking at the highlights and took away all the sounds, took away the context, it was a very good game of rugby, but it was not even remotely close to the games we saw this weekend as a game of rugby. As no, a spectac- not in terms of spectacle, the, as an athletic event. Yeah. You know, as an athletic event, the, these two matches we saw this weekend were absolutely off the richer scale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, 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 I'd go with that. You know, I mean, I guess the sort of, the you know the the changes in specialist uh, conditioning, the way that benches are used. I mean, the South African bench is, and the and their use of the bench is a street. It, it, the the thing that I think separated them from France was that again, as it did uh, England in the Yokohama final and so on. Their use of their bench is absolutely you know on the button. Um, they don't make many mistakes. The Faree thing, um, I guess, you know, I mean, it, it's it's worked out for them, but the overall strength of their side made sure that it would. Um, Oxenche coming on and Aldegheri coming on, first scrummage that he they're head-to-head. Aldegheri pops out of the scrum. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure they, they, they put three points over as a consequence of it. And it was mirrored, you know, when when Aldrit and Olivon went off, I, I thought that and Antonio, you know, they took them all off pretty well in a in, in a um, in, in a group. I thought then that you could see that there was. I'm not saying that any of the Frenchmen who came on played particularly badly, but there was just a gap in terms of uh, what the uh, the Springboks bought in intensity to the to the closing stages and i and also just that yeah, sort of <clears throat> cunning um that you get you know that set play where Elizabeth scored they deliberately i think constructed it so that he was running at jalibert <laughs> and mm. you know jalibert and, and and a couple more small backs basically and um the laws of physics told in Elizabeth's favor and his design. I thought they were odd replacements by France, Nick. I mean, all those three you mentioned were going pretty well when they were taken. They were. Off. Yeah, I kind yeah. of think it was it was anticipating or trying to match. They yeah. got dragged into that tactical game of matching the box. And, and, and how often were going fine? How often do you see it happen? You know, you see it happen all the time when Argentina, in the game against Wales, brought on. Uh, Alamano, they bought on. Uh, they bought on one tranche of replacements and then another lot uh, later on, Sclavi included, which made a difference. But the first group that he sent on, they'd actually been defending quite well. In fact, they'd been defending very well, and all of a sudden, these three guys come on, and the defensive structure is 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 disjointed for you know for sort of five minutes. Bang! Well, you know, Thomas Williams is through. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, a, it, I, it, it's I, I think, I think you make a good point about the, um, about, about the box. I, I, to me, there, there were a couple of things about the French performance, um, and everything around the French performance, which cost them. Um, A, I, th- I think Gaultier may have got the selection slightly wrong. He, he had, he had two second rows who were, who were pretty much identical in terms of, 
style and skill and shape and what have you. I think I might have started with Taufifanua for just the ballast with Walkie and bought someone like Flamand on or the other way round. That's not to say, I mean, I thought Walkie, especially in the lineup, was absolutely exceptional um, on Sunday. I think he's an extraordinary player with quite a lot to give going forward. A hell of a lot to give going forward. As is, as uh, is Flamand. In, indeed. I mean, I mean, there, there, there are a whole bunch of that French side who are going to be around in four years' time. And you've also got an extraordinary under-20 side, which has just won that title underpinning them. Yeah. Um, and so there's going to be a lot happening in French rugby, and I think their time might be in 2027. Yeah. But in terms of this weekend, uh, I also thought that knowing that the box, who play quite a simple game, and it's an intelligent game, but it's a simple game. The, Fr- the French made more mistakes because they do more things to cock up, basically, than the box yeah. do. The, but the box boil this down to first principles. When it really matters, they boil rugby down to first principles and they largely get it right because they have the physicality that allows them to be able to do that. The French do slightly more extravagant things and make more mistakes. I would have picked Villiers as well, assuming he was fit, because he's a dog, an absolute dog. Mm. And they needed every fighter they could lay their hands on on, mm. on Sunday and they left a couple of them, either in terms of size or attitude or both, they left a couple of them on the bench. So I uh, I also would have started with Francois Croix rather than Gillon, who I, I don't think Gillon, fine player though he is, is absolutely back to where he was you, pre-injury. You know what, Chris? I, I thought he played I thought he played extremely well. The, the he did play as well. He was on, I thought he was very, very good. But you you've got You've got a very good point. Villiers is the best turnover counter-rucking back almost, uh, you know, that there, that certainly outside back that there is in the world. And um, I I found his disappearance odd. I don't know whether he was injured or not. Um, the other, the, the kid B.A. Barry is obviously very, very fast. Um, he is. But, but, you know, Colby, you know, showed him the door. Um, uh, effectively, you know, I mean, I, I think that um, then, then you know, Antonio and By are a notch up on the front rows that they that that they brought on. I thought Malvaca was fantastic for them. Oh, incredible! I thought he incredible. he was off the charts. He's, he uh, has best hooker in the world in waiting written all over him. I mean, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean that was he was exceptional, absolutely exceptional. And and I and I thought that Dupont as well, coming oh. back in, God, I thought he was again off the scale. I thought that he was he was fantastic. But you know there was suggestion that maybe they could have um, you know subbed him you know with ten minutes to go or whatever. But I, I don't think I would have done. I, I, I thought he was absolutely I, incredible, Nick. But. There was one thing I will criticise him for, and this is probably the first and only time I will ever criticise him. Um, he didn't manage the ref. Now, I've, I'm not wildly impressed with O'Keefe. And against Ireland, remember, I, I pointed it out, Johnny had to go over to him and tell him to stop coaching them at the rucks and to ping them. And he apologised to Johnny, and Ireland got the next four penalties. Well, he was at it again on Sunday. He was coaching the box at... The, at the rucks and it was three or four times it was a clear penalty and it was get yeah. back you can't do that don't go there 
And he had this constant dialogue with Kelosi, which is entirely okay. Um, he's the skipper. There was no dialogue whatsoever, really, with DuPont. Um, and DuPont is one of those guys, he goes into himself. He leads totally by example. He will not allow anything to distract him. He's in the zone. He's the best player in the world. That's mm. what he does. And mm. somebody in that French team needed to go up to um, O'Keefe and say, this can't go on. You've got to start pinging them, just like Johnny Sexton did. Now, it takes a big personality to do that, doesn't it? To go up to and so, and someone, who, and someone who speaks English. And someone, and again, exactly. I mean, there are so many chats with South Africa. It was untrue. And no dialogue with France whatsoever. And he talks French. They are stuck out of sight. He talks French, but he wouldn't talk French in in that match. And he wouldn't talk to the French. It was extraordinary. And he's got, and guess what? He's got South Africa again this week. Third match in four. He's ref in South Africa or coaching South Africa as as whichever way you want to put it. He's got to stop that. You can't do that as a top. You know what? I I I thought that um, uh, this thing of referees talking constantly is out of out of hand. Absolutely, there there is far far too much dialogue between players and referees. I mean, Luke Pierce was conducting a bloody seminar. Against um, you know when Fiji played for- Portugal, he, he must have had a, a five-minute conversation with everybody on the bloody pitch. Um, I, I I just think that it's 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 nuts. The laws are there. The players are you know they're professional players. They're meant to know the laws inside out. Um, and I you know for me it's one of the worst aspects of the game at the moment because it takes an inordinate amount of time. That's one thing. I think even bloody, you know, all this stuff, you know, Warren Gatlin's gone on about it. We we pick our captain, you know, for his ability to talk to the referee and so on and so forth. Look, I, I, I get it up to a point. But if the referee's doing his job, the referee shouldn't need to have constant dialogue with captains and so on and so forth. Um, what I really liked about Wayne Barnes's performance against Ireland was that he warned Porter at the scrum on three separate occasions, absolutely crystal clearly what he was doing wrong. And Porter was so emotionally tangled in the game that he didn't listen. And it cost Ireland. It cost Ireland, you know, deeply. So, I, you know, and, and that's the sort of refereeing that I want to see, you know, just a, a, a very terse comment to somebody if they're um, persistently infringing or or whatever, if a team's persistently offside. I mean, that's one of the things with the box. They get away. They all get away with murder, to be quite honest. You know, I mean, the number of times you see uh, defensive lines offside is nobody's business. It's just epidemic. Um, and And that should be, you know, that's something that assistant referees and referees can't get wrong. It shuts the bloody game down. Um mm. So for me, they're under the pressure idea, to minimize the number of penalties they give, aren't they? Yeah, they, I mean, this, it, this whole spectacle argument—it's it, you know—they don't want to give away those penalties. Look, the, the one referee who, who does not, who is very headmasterly about this and does not have conversations about things is Carly Matthew Carly, yeah. who 
who yeah. simply doesn't engage in that way. And I think that's a strength of his. I used to think he was a rather officious git, but but actually, I like the fact that he's a rather officious git. I mean, leaving aside the the whole Wales Fiji thing at the back end of the game, but I I, I quite like his style. He had so about ten with, minutes, but I agree, Chris. I, I like yeah, I quite I, like his style. I agree with you. I think this concept a it tells you that the laws are nowhere near clear enough. Yeah, if referees are constantly having to talk people through it. And it is, it, you don't have to be Carwin James to work out that there is a huge disadvantage for a side whose lang- first language is not English. And yeah, in the yeah. French case, some of them will speak very little English because they don't want to or they've not brought up, been brought up to do so. They are at a massive disadvantage. I don't know how strong Dupont's English is. But it, it it's may, average, it may, but well, it's not great. Aldrich should have I, taken it on himself to because well, Aldrich I mean, has the got more they, English. The more they're talking, the more the non-English speaking side um, is at a disadvantage, and it's yeah. stared you in the face. At least people like Wayne Barnes have tried to put on enough French to get themselves through a game at a reasonable at a reasonable but, level. But, and, but and part of the part of the problem is the cacophony of noise around every decision. You know, in in these <laughs> games, is just bloody. You know. You being being a bloody kindergarten, you know, for the, the amount of of, of, of playtime, you know, I mean, it is unbelievable. And one of the things we've talked about it, everybody talks about it, is that one of the the greatest weapons that a referee has got to restore some bloody order is to march the offending side or the loudest voice back ten, you know, ten yards, and they virtually never do it. They they virtually okay. never do it. It restores a, a order faster than anything. If you're losing, and if you if you double it up, if they carry on, if you're losing twenty yards, you know, all of a sudden you're in danger of giving away. A, you know, they kick to the corner. You're in danger of giving away a try. It'll shut people up bloody quickly, and they well, need to because everybody is appealing. Everybody. Yeah. It's such an important area, Nick. You see. You see people going at the assistant referees almost as much as they're going at the referee. It's bloody. It's uh, it's something that needs to be needs to be addressed seriously. I'll give and, you just and, one and little snapshot here. Half time as they came out. Sorry, as they came out for the second half, he was talking to Closey for what ninety seconds there as they waited for everybody to come out. Now a bit of that was to inform him that the Elizabeth yellow was staying as yellow. I think, yeah, um, but a lot of it wasn't. He then went over to Dupont, and it was a cursory four or five seconds. He's coming back on, and then you got after the match. Colosi is making a big, and he's a great bloke. Colosi, he's making a great point of the excellent communication with the referee. Well, yeah, too bloody <laughs> right. He <laughs> yeah. did nothing but either talk or coach the boss. So yeah. no wonder they think the communication was great. France think it. I was reading uh, Midi this morning. France think it was rubbish. They think they were really done by the ref. Mm. And now South Africa have got the ref, same ref against England. Well, Dupont, Dupont, Dupont started that, um, that you yeah. know, that those questions immediately after the game, didn't he? And he, he never know? whinges. Have you ever heard Dupont whinge about anything? I don't know. I haven't studied him. I've, that never, I've never heard him utter a word of complaint about anything. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do, he he do as many, in fairness. I mean, I mean, there's always going to be a bit of a of, of, of rainbow warrior hangover about 
um, these <laughs> anything involving New Zealand and France. I mean, I mean, but, but both countries are going to have to let that go, I think. But it's I, I, I do get unnerved by the referees who who can who, who get so pally with players that they call them by their Christian names. Mm. Well, um, they call my team but, by their Christian names, and the other and, and the other bloke. Not. Don't get mentioned. Yeah, well, well, well. I was going to go on to say even worse is when it's only one team. I mean, I, I, I can't remember a referee who's called any of the Fijians by their Christian names. I haven't mm. knows what. And even um, Wayne Barnes, who's having a great tournament, does that. He was calling Ali Price, who's not even the oh, captain, Ali throughout that match he, he did with Scotland. Should go back to Tony Spreadbury, who called everyone a plonker. <laughs> <laughs> He knew how to cut through his brothers. It's, uh, I think there is an issue. And, of course, France what? will look at the Smith turnover, won't they? And they'll point to that as a crucial moment, an absolutely crucial moment, which was a bad call by the ref. And it was. It was a bad call. What I, what I remember Spreaders saying all the time was, he knows, he knows, as he ran. Well, <laughs> well yeah, he, and went on to say, he knows he's a plonker. <laughs> I think yeah. all this is calling for a, a sort of a big look at the refereeing after this World Cup because it has been a, a big talking point. And we haven't even mentioned, obviously, the inconsistencies of the high charges. So I think there are multiple layers to this issue. Um, I want to sort of move on to some other key moments in the game. And Nick, I wanted to ask you about one moment in particular when Damien Willemser caught the ball on the full in 22, calls a mark. And then puts the ball down for a spring box scrum. The box then take the scrum, get the penalty, kick the ball 40 yards up the pitch. Have you ever seen that? And it was it not just the most box thing ever? Yeah, it was. It was a um <clears throat> it was a psychological statement. And um and they made it. That's the thing. You know, you can do you can do things like that and then backfire horribly. And it shows the level of their confidence in their scrum because the French scrummer Antonio was on at that time, Bay was on, Malvaca was on. Um the French scrum is oh, I mean it's the best in 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 Europe I'd say. I think it's slightly better than than Ireland's. And um they made that statement to the to and and it showed it showed their confidence. It showed France their confidence, and it was a big, big psychological statement. It you know to 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 actually muscle them in the way in which they did. To France's credit, um, they actually came back at them at the next couple of scrums. Um, but the thing about it is, I mean, what would really interest interest me is if they started with Oxen Che and Malherb together. I guess it's always Malherb and Kitsop and, and so on. So if they started with those two, I, I I sort of think that they're going to mangle anybody. And that might might be something coming England's way on Saturday. Um, so, uh, I, I've yeah. seen it before once or twice. You, I, I used to, because yeah. I'm a bit of a nerd, I've watched uh, Rugby Europe games on the stream for four or five years. George have done it occasionally. They, 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 yeah. they opt for the scrum. Because number one, they can just grind the opposition. They can get yellow yep. cards. They can get and they can tire them out. Get yellow cards, and then they, they always get the penalty kick anyway. But they know at that level that they are going to win that scrum. Just yeah. at, at, at exalted level at the weekend. That was 
quite a moment, wasn't it? The thing that struck me about it when I first saw them do it was I thought that there's a set move coming off this because remember you've you, instead of getting a, a, having a flat line defence against you from a scrum and you know from the set piece is the only time where you know the backs are lined up one on one and um i thought that that might be what was what was coming when they hoofed it down the pitch i thought no it was just a statement of of physical yeah. force um <laughs> but um you know i mean that I is the, that's the other beauty of the scrum been... is is I think it may have been a bit of a shock to nothing as well, to be honest, Nick. Insofar, I mean, you've got to get it right. Once you've made that call, you have to get it right. And if it had gone yeah. wrong for them, then that would have been a shocker. But also, they didn't want the, they they didn't want to go too near too many line outs. I mean, Walkie had really got stuck into them at the line out. So mm. if you're just going to, they were only going to kick the ball in the air anyway. Mm. If you see what I mean. So if they just won the scrum, not got a penalty, they'd have box mm. kicked it. I imagine from there. Whereas they were going to keep it in field from the mark and uh, from from Valencia's mark because they didn't want they didn't want a a, um, a defensive line out in their own half any more than they could help. So so it was good thinking. I mean, and it goes back to the way that the box think their way through uh, yeah. very very intense uh, contests and come out in in real really meaningful must win matches. They come out ahead a hell of a lot. And part of that is goes back to the whole first principles thing, and they do think very clearly under pressure. It goes back to the old England thing in two thousand three, yeah, and like Woodward teacup thing. They do they do it. They don't yeah, get confused yeah. or lose their rags or get in a muddle. They they think clearly, given their duty. and Erasmus for all the you know the sort of mad mad professor stuff. He he does think out of the box, and a lot of what he does, you know, left field thinking, a lot of it. Not all of it. He's a little bit like Woodward in that in that regard. Not all of it, but a lot of it actually uh, makes a difference. He does. And, and he, he, he's also the controversial. He's the controversialist Eddie Jones would want to be because he winds mm. everyone up and wins, whereas Eddie at the moment is just winding <laughs> everyone up and losing. <laughs> Good point. I thought it was a great call not to start with Faf de Klerk because Faf is that character, and he's also that. Extraordinary sort of played one of the very few who could take Dupont on in a one on one battle, and he would have got dragged into an ego fest there. Faf, mm. whereas Ryanak, brilliant player, and he's playing and he's playing very well, but he serves the team, serves the team, gets on with the job. And that was a that was a great mixture. Then bringing Faf on for the second half when it had all dampened down a little bit, so you know, I, he's just a very, very clever selector. And, I, and also, you know, the South African think tank generally comes up with his yeah. stuff. And they got I, it right. I, I agree. Got it right. Bring, bringing on De Klerk at that time, you know, somebody of his energy, his his aggression, you know, it was it it was very very smart. I agree with you. I did. I th I thought when I saw it, I, I thought, why wouldn't you start with your, um, you know, with De Klerk hmm. for what he brings you in combativeness and so on. Um, but yeah, it was very very smartly done, and Reinhardt played bloody well. You know. It He's playing it would have been very interesting. Been very interesting, wouldn't it? If the French, as they could easily have done, have got fourteen points up, um, you know, in in that, those early great swathes of French attacking, and and of course the box pickpocketed them a couple of times and and got themselves on the board and kept themselves in the game. But France could have been away. Uh, I mean, well, not they could away, butchered that two on one, didn't they? Yeah, they could have. They could have been a long way in front. And what do you do at ten then? What 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 about your Libok Pollard balance if your big points down? 
and it's yeah. going to be difficult to chip away at th- with three pointers and you need to score tries. It would have been very interesting. But hey, if the dog hadn't stopped, he'd have won did the race. The, um, did the Etzebeth uh, knock back, knock forward ever go to the TMO? Did, was it ever examined? I can't remember. He never got Looked much of in the background, I expect. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we I never, thought that was a very good call. Yet. Having had a go at O'Keefe, I thought that was an excellent call there. Um, Etzebeth was clearly making every effort to knock the ball back. And even if it dribbled forward a little bit, I don't know if it did, he was the offence is deliberate knock on. It was not a deliberate knock on. It was a um, deliberate knock back, trying to knock back. Yeah. That was brilliant play by Etzebeth, and that bit was well refereed. But if it was a knock on, it would have been a different. <laughs> <laughs> possibly a different outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, and we haven't even talked about this this conversion yet, which no. I'm still not remotely convinced. We've seen no wide-angle footage, official wide-angle footage. Listen, I've seen I some mean, footage I from the crowd yeah. where he I seems to go a little bit early to me, but, but we, <laughs> no, we needed no to see it. Quick. We needed <laughs> to see it. That is an, an incredibly unique decision. And the world hasn't seen the proper footage. You I, know, was, and that yeah. actually... I saw but, a calculation that... online of the distance that Colby had to run to get to where he got to in the time that Ramos started his. And he would have had to have started a 100-metre race faster than Bolt to get there. Well, Bolt wasn't so, the quickest starter. He but wasn't the quickest would... starter is the only thing. Yeah. So, and he is a great athlete. And I think it was very close. But my point there is what constitutes starting a kick Afterwards, they were saying he uh, he noticed that Ramos twitches his shoulder just before he starts. But that's not mm. starting a kick. Otherwise, you'd have Owen Farrell does all this scanning business. Yeah. You've got Dan mm. Bigger, who is never still at any point before he no. starts kicking. Well, this so, is somebody could run it. There was obviously the impact. He's moving towards the ball. Run the 30 old... seconds before he kicks the ball. Oh, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine Brent Dan Bigger or, or Wilkinson with all their twitches? I mean, yeah, if the first twitch is the start of the kick, it's a very ill-defined law. In the second half. It's yeah, in the whole very ill-defined. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, the box got away with one there, but I will give it to him that he had done his homework and he knew that he knew he could make it very, very close and at least ask the decision, you know, cause the decision to be made by the officials. But they, you know, I don't know if they TMO'd it. I didn't, but we we didn't we never got the, the full replay, did we? And we never got a lot. But um, isn't isn't that classic rugby union situation? You know, this is professional rugby union. This is where the game is again, you know. I mean, there's so much to applaud in, in what happens on the field. We've seen two absolutely fantastic games uh last weekend, but these sorts of things go on all the time. There's no way. I mean, the technology is there. The technology, the chip technology is there. They don't invest in it. Um, the camera angles should be there. It shouldn't be a debate. They should be right. able to bloody well, to, you know, to replay it instantly and get a an absolutely informed decision on it. It's, you know it, what, Nick, it's if Tom we pulled that off, if he did that genuinely... Fantastic replay it, yeah. put it up there. That is the Absolutely. gold standard. That is how you charge a conversion Absolutely. legally. Put it there. But we, we're left in no footage. shrouded in mystery. In limbo yeah. land. Yeah, yeah. That's 
I think this story but... is terrifying, to be honest, since do you remember when James O'Connor was playing for Australia against the Barbars and Peter Stringer runs up and t- poaches the ball off his tee? They all remember that? And the movement that... I Trish do, but the one... Yeah. Connor putting his arm out and then across him, which was this weird thing he used to do, and he stopped doing it after that point. And to me, and I was only... Well, I was quite young at the time, so maybe my understanding of rugby wasn't great. But to me, putting your arm out and then putting it across your shoulder still isn't starting a kick. I would think it's the first movement of the feet. And so to me... That's and that used to take. be the law. Yeah. That used to be the law. The first move towards the ball was the law for 100 years or more. Because you've got all these kickers, they do this sighting thing, don't they? They put their arm up like that and they sort of draw, you know, diagonals and stuff. Lots of movement going on. It's when you move towards the ball is when you start the kick. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and that's a, pretty, that's a pretty, in the end, for referees, that's a pretty straightforward judgment, you know. There's been quite However, a lot during this World Cup that we haven't really seen. There, there, there has been quite a lot. It started with the first game when there was a hell of a lot in yeah. the France-New Zealand game. Uh, the, 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 the television, I mean, God knows what's going on in the stadiums, the television viewers who would, who, when you watch the BT Sport or whatever it's called now, or Sky Sports and what have you, you're used to seeing those replays. Yeah. In fact, I think there's a conspiracy to keep Austin Healy. And I, I mean, I know Austin's... A, 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 um, one of the most popular people in the world. I think there's a conspiracy to keep him out of commentary boxes because Austin sees so much that other people doesn't see, don't see. I mean, no matter what you think of Austin, he's a hell of a he's a hell of a spotter of things. And yeah, of course, very- the way it's constructed here in Premiership rugby, when he spots something, the TMO is alerted because they're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And then yeah. they look at it. Then they look at it. I mean, crikey, we'd never get to the end of this tournament if Austin. I mean, the, the television coverage that that uh, that I've seen, I, I haven't thought a, a huge amount of the match coverage. I think that um, very often they've got the cameras pointing in the in the wrong direction at the wrong time. Um, the 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 endless shots of the crowd, you know. I mean, you, the, it's okay to have them interspersed sometimes to give a sense of atmosphere and so on, but not as much as they do it so that people are sort of gurning at the TV and then waving, you know, to see when they're up on the, on the big screen. I just think, you know, that, you know, I mean, if you're missing something on the pitch, that's, you know, absolutely crucial as a result of that, it's bloody, it's, it's, it's poor, you know, and a lot Mm. of the coverage has been, has been sort of, I'd say average, Average, and it makes you realise how sport we've been with First Sky and then BT Sport that they took it to new levels, and then when it yeah. drops down, you don't half notice it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing is that is that that's the host broadcaster basically, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm not clear here if the host broadcaster is the French or if World Rugby have put in a set of producers. Now I know they were talking about that some years ago of having like neutral. Uh, production team so perhaps we want to look into that but I mean ordinary you'd think it's the French TV I don't think it is French TV producers doing it I or no, directors it, actually it would be I it think it's like be a world rugby Brendan. If, it, if it was world rugby it would be far better than it is now <laughs> yeah. um look we need to start to move on to these semi-finals because we're obviously getting to uh Wednesday Sorry, well, we're getting to near the semi-finals. We're almost less than 48 hours out. I just want to talk about Ireland quickly. Um, 
when we were predicting where Ireland would get to the two in the World Cup, I don't think any of us said they would go out in the quarters. I should also say that our predictions last week have been completely upstage because our four semi-finalists were France, Ireland, England and Wales. So that's gone very, very well for us. Oh, well, hang on. I had Pumas. I had Pumas. Uh, yeah, I know. But I just, bit, just to mean there's a balance. Camp oh, the, the consensus, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, have gone, I'd have gone Pumas and I've also, also had New Zealand to win the tournament. You did, to be fair. I thought you were about to blow smoke up your own ass there, but you actually are telling the well, truth. Well, I, I am. Actually, I've lost a bit of weight and I can't really did. find it now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't disappoint. <laughs> but obviously, Ireland's quarterfinal, semi-final voodoo continues. 37 phases is, I believe, the most phases ever in a World Cup match. Um which was obviously the number that they tapped out at when they were looking for that match-winning score. What is this? I mean, Brendan, obviously, I'll come to you. The quarterfinal hoodoo burden and stuff, is it's heavier now than ever, and this is this is maybe three or fourfold. Yeah, I mean, the, the important thing is, is it's not a jinx. In most of the quarterfinals, Ireland have played bloody poorly and deserved to lose. Um, they played pretty well in 91, where they gave Australia plenty of hurry-up. Um, and that's probably about it, really. They played incredibly well this weekend. It could have gone either way. There's no jinx or hoodoo involved on this occasion. They just won lost a wonderful rugby match. And bloody hell, if they'd won it after 37 phases, if they could have forced um, that position, that they needed the try, didn't they? If they could have done that, that would have been the greatest finish in the history of rugby. So I, I don't... Um, no blame, no... Um, what's the word? There's no need for mixed emotions on this. It was a great game, and they just lost it, and that's that's all there is to it. You don't have to imply more to this than than exists. Yeah, I think that a thirty-seven to to keep the ball through thirty-seven phases in, in a game of that intensity with so much hanging on it is a tribute to Ireland. In uh, you know in, in 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 almost every sense. The only thing that you would say or that I would say is that um, in their back line, there are there is one player that I would say is 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 an absolute game breaker. And that's Keenan. Otherwise, I'm not sure. And there was, you know, Sexton at times um, in that possibly showed, you know, showed, you know, showed his years in some ways. But. Who who wants to make the mistake that that ends you know that brings a phase of that of that sort of continuity to an end? Um, the only thing that I I would say you know I mean there's you know the game needs heroes and you know Sexton is an is an Irish hero no question at all about it he'll go he'll go down as one of their greatest players um, but some of the focus on him. Uh, it sounded like Johnny Sexton's quarterfinal, Johnny Sexton's exit. You know, it was an exit for a whole generation of players. Uh, as, uh, sometimes, you know, this focus on just one individual, and he's a controversial individual in many ways too, you know, mm. it, it's just, it's it's over the top, way over the top. I mean, yeah. he's he's been a tremendous player. Um, he's had, uh, you know, huge success. He's had great plaudits. And it's, you know, we, you know, as we know, in professional sport, nobody writes their own end script. 
you know, doesn't happen or very, very rarely. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, and Brendan, again, I'll come to you. Um, sorry for the repeat trip, but it is the end of a remarkable career. Yes, and and actually, I think if you're going to do your moments of the weekend in a few minutes, I think I'll, I'll sort of dive in early on. I thought that it was quite emotional watching that last thirty-seven phases, because as Nick says, that that wasn't just just Johnny Sexton, although he was trying to orchestrate it for one final time. But you know, it was Peter O'Malley's farewell sort of thing. I doubt very yeah. much if we'll see Bundyaki, uh, Porter, um, others in, in another World Cup, and. This was their final fling, and I, I just thought it was an incredible moment, an incredible, um, well, incredible four minutes, wasn't it? I think the thirty-seven pages. It was uh, just enthralling to watch, but you know, it it, it, um, it didn't work, and and then John, the moment Johnny at the end, he's still giving out. Do you remember? Was it Rico? I only somebody walked past him, and he gave him a, a mouthful, and actually, I was gonna. You know, be critical of him, but actually, wasn't that just so Johnny? Right at the end, he's still bloody mad and still giving out. I thought, well, fair play, Jim. I've heard that um, Rico Ioani said to him, uh, in, enjoy retirement and don't miss your flight home tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty brutal thing. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. Pretty generous. Sort of- yeah, <laughs> it could have been much worse. It could have been much worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. The problem, the problem is, we've no idea what Sexton said to him during the preceding eighty minutes. <laughs> well, indeed, and I think we can also take it that if the boot had been on the other foot, Johnny Sexton would not have been worried about Rico missing his flight. He might have. Uh, he might have said. Some, he might have said something slightly different. Yeah. Uh, just, just on that. On the thirty-seven phases, I mean, I, I, th- I think there's um there's a peculiarity about about that insofar as, and this has to do with the game clock, of course, which I would have out of the game personally, um, because teams play differently and have to play differently when they know that that it's the last play. So the All Blacks can only do so many things with security. Um, because the last thing you want to do is face a, a five meter line out, blah 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 blah, and the sort of semi inevitability, although it's not been as inevitable in this World Cup, of a, of a side mauling it over if 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 the line out works. Um, but I just thought it was a great great moment, and like Brendan, I'm going to preempt it now. The great moment for me was Sam Whitelock, just a fantastic, a fantastic display of experience and of patience. And the clear-headedness born of that experience to take the to take the risk because it's always going to be a risk trying to get the ball back in those circumstances. Much greater risk than it is at any other point during the game. Yeah, and he took that risk to identify the isolated player, get himself over the top in a completely legal fashion, and come yeah. up with the ball. I love White Lock with bits. I think it, it's he's interesting. Been a remarkable player for them. Yeah, it, uh, and it, it, I, I thought it was very. It summed up his his elder statesmanship, all the good things about his elder statesmanship, and and I, I for one, would quite like to see him go on and, and be the first player ever to win a, a third World Cup. But hey, who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also it, it it's also tribute to the fact that he wasn't hanging in quite the same way as every other 
well, not every other player, but he'd only been on for about six minutes. So, you know, his mind was still non-fatigued. Yeah. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> Whereas yeah. uh, some of the others, having having played, you know, the, either the full 80 or a good part of it, um, you know, I mean, you could see at the end of that move. I mean, the one thing that you would say, anybody keeps the ball through 37 phases, the stress that it puts on a defence and just one bloke to slip up, to be fatigued and to, to you know, to, to make a mistake, miss the tackle, whatever else. And that's tribute to the, you know, to the to the All Blacks, definitely. But as I say, old Sam, you know, he, he, his, his brain was in good working order. Good working order. I'm not <laughs> sure that it would be such good brain. working order if he'd been on for the full 80. <laughs> yeah, but if you take into account his age, then yeah. short-term memory loss is kicking in. So yeah, it's... I just thought... Stop generalising from the particular. Well, <laughs> so, sorry, where, where am I again? Um... um <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I thought it was I thought it was a great I thought it was a great moment for him. I mean, absolutely terrific. I think the All Blacks have got that selection right. Actually, I mean, um, uh, he's a hell of a player to be able to bring on in moments of crisis. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the time we see the 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 influence of the bench, you know, and the way that it's now become, um, you know, it it, it it's a huge part of the game. There are still people out there who believe that the game is not as aerobic as it ought to be, that bringing on people who are, you know, fresh and huge or whatever they happen to be for, you know, 10 minute periods is actually um, more detrimental to the game than it is positive. And I think that that's something that should be said. It was a 15 man game. It's now a 23 man game. And that's an argument which, um, you know, which which many people, particularly uh, former former internationals, feel very strongly about. Yeah, and, I agree um, with that. It, it, yeah. It's what what's allowed the game to become to go from an endurance game to yeah. a pure power game. Yeah, super. I don't. I, I I don't think I don't think that's been to the game's benefit. Frankly, mm. but it's a very it's a very difficult circle to square when you're around health and safety. It's a topic it's for another day, maybe. But uh, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm drawing a line on the quarterfinals discussion because we do need to move on. And you guys have slightly preempted it. I need a, well, first of all, match of the quarterfinals. Um, I'm just going to throw, throw France, put France South Africa at the top and see if anyone disagrees. I don't know how you can. I, 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 I am going to disagree. I, I, actually, I actually slightly, and we're talking like half a percent, preferred the Ireland match. And probably could my slight, slight reservations about the refereeing in the second match, but we're talking about both matches were like off the Richter scale, but I slightly preferred the Ireland New Zealand match. How about we put the first half of France, South Africa together with the second half from Ireland, New Zealand. Yeah, that I would agree would be the that's, ultimate rugby match. That's not a great, that's <laughs> not a bad 80 minute spectacle. Um, okay. Let's get, a, yeah. <laughs> let's get a player of the quarterfinal and Brendan, you've said your moment and who said Sam Whitelock? Well, no, that well, yeah, that was that was it. Sam Sam Whitelock was my moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris, my, you... my my player of the quarterfinal. My player of the quarterfinal was Sam Kane. Yes, I can't I can't disagree with that uh, man. Who I've never seen him. I've never seen him play better. 
he's a bloke who um when when you compare him to the great New Zealand sevens, he's limited. I mean, Michael Jones, Richie McCall in a different age, a Graham Moore or a Wacker Nathan, a Josh Cromfell. These blokes did did things that Sam can't do really, yeah. um, and 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 wouldn't claim to be able to do. Um, he comes in for a lot of flack, some of it self inflicted, insofar as he hasn't played very well or he's been slightly anonymous at times in in quite big games. But as Sean Fitzpatrick has said on this podcast a couple of times, he is held in massive esteem in the group. He clearly presses the right buttons behind closed doors. Uh, I do credit him for being one of the few players in defeat. And of course, it doesn't happen to the All Blacks very often. He never goes close to making an excuse, ever. He fronts up. He's honest about his side shortcomings in a particular performances. So I give him massive credit for that in an age of excuses. He doesn't, he's something from a different age almost. But at the weekend, I thought he was absolutely magnificent in a really, really hard game. Mm. I thought his tackling and his 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 ground coverage, his involvements on both sides of the ball. He even he even carried a bit a bit better than we've come to we we've become used to seeing him. I thought I thought it was a captain's performance. I thought he set the tone for the All Blacks, and he would be my my player of the quarterfinals. Hmm. Nick, let's come. Oh, to you. We haven't had your mo- we haven't had your moment yet as well. So let's go for that first. Who are we talking about? I know you. You. Oh, Reece. Right. Okay. Um. Moment, I would say, um, well, the moment that, that you know, that might have, you know, that probably put France out of the tournament was uh, was the one that we've discussed, which is um, Colby's unbelievable <laughs> charge down of Ramos's kick. Um, you know, it's not something, you know, it's something that we see once in a blue moon now in the game. And... Um, the sharpness of thought you've got to think that the way that south africa do things that it was it, it was um it was pre pre-planned you know that he was going to go out after after one of them um and he would be um my my player of the quarterfinals as well because i think you know for that athleticism he was he he was absolutely electric that in everything that he did and he made the difference in many ways. His finishing made the difference. His opportunism uh, and and speed in getting to that. I mean, it it is a statement of of, of the obvious in some ways because um, he, he you know he was involved in the big moments. His try was brilliantly taken. Um, his you know for a for a, a a small man, his ability in the in the air under the high ball. Is is exceptional, and his reaction speed, whenever the you know there is broken play, his reaction speed is 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 absolutely outstanding, off the scale, and um, he's close to being one of the great wings, isn't he? Yeah, he, uh, and, I, and 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 also he's he's sort of come from nowhere really because we haven't seen all that much of him in the you know in the uh, in 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 the uh, the pool matches. 
So I'm not saying he's been invisible, but he hasn't, you know, he hasn't produced a performance like that. So big game player. I thought he was the same in Yokohama against uh, against England. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd I'd say him. Another moment, Brent. I don't want to spike your guns, mate. But another moment was Sanchez's uh, read of um, Sam Costello's pass. You know, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. that was. That was um, that was vet- those were veteran eyes, you know, coming coming off the bench, seeing something, you know, it it, it, it was obviously something that he he saw from, you know, instantaneously basically, but but knew was uh, was coming and he backed himself. Somebody said that it might have been a try at the other end if he'd got it wrong. <laughs> maybe well, maybe that that's correct. And I've seen him do that before. <laughs> Sanchez is a is a is a bit of a pickpocket merchant he, he's done those intercepts before no you're absolutely right that that was we haven't really spoken much about that match have we that was that was an interesting match as well there was plenty going on there yeah he looked horrified at the distance he had to run as well for that I think I think we can possibly take it that the, the difference between Cheslin Colbay and Nicolas Sanchez is that Colbay you can imagine Colbay um, making the read and pit-pocketing the ball in the way that Sanchez did. What you cannot imagine is Sanchez charging down Thomas Ramos's conversion. <laughs> That'd be a pretty um, good way of putting it, yeah. It was, Colby, it was by a, the way. His, his, his first 10 metres were the slowest 10 metres on a breakaway try <laughs> or an intercept try I think I've ever seen. And then he, he whizzed through the gears like a Sherman tank. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You just oh, I would agree with Nick. Sanchez on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? You've just burned down any chance of getting Nicholas Sanchez on the podcast. So thank you very much for that. Oh <laughs> no, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think he would be. I mean, we're 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 it's we're crediting him with with um with with achieving something that he didn't expect to be confronted with, let alone to complete. It was uh, it was great. It was a brilliant read. It was. Right. It was a good game. Now it was a really mm. good game. Now, yeah, it was. Sorry, I can but... only agree with Nick about the player of the, the round, though. I think Colby does add that his electricity, as, as Nick was saying. He's a funny player, Colby. They were pretty disappointed with him down in Toulon. He didn't really produce there, and at one stage, he was his place was under scrutiny here with South Africa. And I, unlike Nick, I thought he was ramping it up in in the warm up matches. I think he realised his place was under under threat. But he's an extraordinary player. He's the first cousin of um, Wade Van Niekerk, who's the only human in history to run 100 metres in less than 10 seconds, 200 metres in less than 20 seconds, and 400 metres in less than 44 seconds. So he comes from pretty good sprinting stock. And if anybody could have done that charge down legally, it was probably him. But I'm not utterly convinced. <laughs> Just on that charge. I can credit you, Brendan, with wearing your learning lightly. Well done. (laughs) Former athletics correspondent of the Daily Telegraph. (laughs) And we, it's a good. uh, And we. Sorry, Nick. Go on. I was going to say we've yet to uh, to mention um, Fiji, and you know the fact that they, even though they lost to England, outscored them by three tries to two. Um. Yeah. I anyway, we'll come. Maybe we'll come to that with the uh, a, a look at the semi-finals. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a fleeting word. We've already been going for an hour five, and we haven't even got to this weekend weekend's matches yet. So, well, 
I don't want to spend too long on that. Just on the Colby charge down very quickly, which is my moment at the weekend. Um, and it did feel slightly seismic at the time, even though the game was still very much in the balance and we were a million miles off full time. Also, don't forget, yeah. firstly, Colby's not a tall guy. So for him to get there, it's not like it's Andre Esterhazen or Eben Elizabeth, not that either of them would have got there, but his reach is not particularly big. Second of all, he put his arms out. The ball was down here. You know, it's not like it was close to fingertips or anything like that. And so he wasn't close to missing it. And obviously all he, need, all he needs to disrupt the kick completely is a fingertip from out there. And so even if he had gone a millisecond early, I think there's probably an argument to say that he kind of was quick enough to get there regardless of whether he'd gone early or not. It was just It was just flush contact. And so I just wanted to put that out there and say that I think he would have got there anyway. That's what maybe all of that I agree win. with, but I just think the game ought to, ought to put the footage up so that we yeah. can admire it unreservedly and use it as the gold standard as to what constitutes a legal charge down. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what made it look so weird. The fact that it was all, almost it was almost a full body contact. It was, it was almost it was almost all over the tee. You don't see that yeah. very often. No, I, yeah. I mean it's a rare event anyway. But they're they're almost always hand deflections. But to to be smashed. In, in the sort of main part of your body almost was yeah, yeah, was amazing. Yeah. And and my, my first thing was what the hell was Ramos doing? But it, it's you know, if he's just gone through his usual address and 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 you know the usual timing over his technique for taking those the, those kicks, I mean it's an extraordinary effort. And as Brendan says, it'd be nice to have some proof. Mm. I think it's a moment where if the Springboks do go and win this World Cup, we're obviously going to have a moment of the World Cup conversation i reckon that might be right right up there certainly in terms of pivotal moments in this world cup um and yeah that will be remembered for a long long time right 10 minutes later let's actually put a line under the quarterfinal discussion because otherwise we're never going to talk about these semi-finals um i think the fact that i couldn't shut you guys up is testament to what we just saw this weekend which is you know the podcast all the better for it right we've got obviously New Zealand, Argentina on the Friday, England versus South Africa on the Saturday. I'm going to jump straight in with with predictions, actually. Um, and I'm just going to see if anyone sees it is calling an upset. Chris, are you calling an upset in any in either of the games? No brainer. No. Brendan? No brainer. No, I can't see it. I can see closer matches than some people are expecting, but no, I can't see an upset. Nick? Um, look, I, I guess the why we never say never is because all it takes is a sending off um, to alter the balance of any game. And um, so, you know, if the spring, you know, if, if South Africa are flat after a six-day turnaround in one of the biggest games that their players will ever play in. Um, It wouldn't be surprising. Uh, England have had a relatively easy passage compared to to the South Africans. Uh, They will be, there are certain, you know, there are a significant number of players who were in Yokohama um still in the england side so they will have massive motivation they'll be the better rested of the sides um 
but I don't think that they'll have enough. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't, uh, and I don't think Argentina uh, will have enough, even if Marcus Kramer produces a, a, another game like the one that he produced uh, against Wales. I just don't think. Um, but it, there is a, a question mark about how much those games will have taken out of both New Zealand and South Africa. Um, and that that will be a leveller to a degree. I agree with Brendan, but I don't think it'll be enough. I think it'll be a, a, a New Zealand-South Africa final. But I, I, said, it be, <laughs> I said it would be a... Uh, a um, a France England semi final. So uh, no, <laughs> there we go. If, if England fans are looking for something to hang on to, because I, I was sitting down last night trying to think, is there any cause for hope and optimism? All I would say about South Africa is, you know, they've got their obvious strengths, but they only created they only created one try against Ireland. They only created two tries against Scotland. And I would argue they only created one try against France. So if if England can get their defensive game in order, and I mean it's it's almost too obvious to say to say it, but if England can produce the aggressive um, tackling which they produced against New Zealand in the semi final, almost from nowhere four years ago, because I'd never seen England play like that before that England team, um, if they could somehow produce that, they could make it much closer than people think. And of course, and for all the reasons Nick has said, you know, there will be a bit of revenge in the air from four years ago. They are much more rested. You know, South Africa have played some very big matches already in this tournament. Now, South Africans are South Africans. They can probably cope with it, but not many teams could cope with the the, the schedule they've had. Um, so I'm not expecting South Africa uh, to steamroll at England. Um, and I'm expecting the Pumas to go pretty well, especially if they keep Issa in the team. I don't know if Matera is... Anyway, going to be fit, but they're much better with Issa in the team. Materia is a old warrior now. He's a battered old warrior, and he slows the game down when he gets the ball. Argentina, if they've got any strength now, they need to get the Carreras involved and those backs involved, and that means they need fast front, you know, front foot forward ball. Issa punching just, holes like he can do. Just with regards to the going back to the box in England, do England need Freddie Stewart back? Because of the um, the high ball game. Well, it's interesting because yeah. the box is so clever that yeah. if he plays, they won't kick yeah. it to him. They won't <laughs> kick it to him if he plays. They'll kick it out wide to the little buzz bombs on the wings and they'll turn yeah. Stewart and they'll embarrass him. So England are really in a difficult place there. They pick Smith, they will be bombarded. They pick Stewart there, and they'll there, go out to the wings. Bren, there is no way that I would not pick Stewart. If they're putting it up on the wings or wherever they're putting it up, if it's in the air long enough, he's got a chance to get there. And he's better... Oh, they won't be the putting it in the air. They'll, they'll be doing he's the little better, grubbers in the corners to he, pop up for the, the buzz bombs. Yeah, maybe, but but it would diffuse one of their biggest weapons, which is the high ball. You know, they go to it. It's what they go back to all the time in big games. It's You know, and I, I would definitely, definitely pick him. I think England are between a rock and a hard place there. That it's not going to work. Probably won't work either. So it won't work either way. Maybe, maybe. But um, I, I certainly I, wouldn't I, give I, them think, free, I wouldn't give them a free shot. Let's put it that way. They're, they're, I they're, think England, yeah, England were England were a better side in 2019 than they are now. Yeah. Um, I don't think their attacking game is up to much. And even in 2019, and they played the All Blacks off the park in that semi final. What was the try count? 
one all. Two, wasn't it? Two one, wasn't it? Two. No, two, one all. A try, no, a try a piece. Oh yeah, Manu's try was the only try, wasn't it? They're two disallowed, two, England, didn't they? Landy for England, Ardy for New Zealand. <coughs> yeah. I mean, it happens. It happens all the time. England's attacking game is not very good, mm. uh, so they don't score as heavily as sometimes they sometimes they ought to. And you can argue the same occasionally for South Africa, I think. But uh, I think South Africa's physicality, yeah, I, t- I take on board the tiredness argument and all that kind of thing. But that wasn't an easy game for England against the Fijians either. In, f- in fact, on the face of it, England are more beaten up than the boxer. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah. Quite a few, there's some injuries and knocks and what I mean, t- t- Tom Curry looked. <laughs> Tom Curry does not look a picture of health in the best of times, but Christ, he looks a right old mess at the moment. I mean, I think we should mention Ben Earl, by the way. Yeah. Who's, yeah. Yes, who's playing exceptionally well. I mean, fantastic. And 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 a completely different dimension to the old one pegs truck it up number eight. You know, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he has brought something different to England, and he might be somebody. He might be somebody that the Springboks will have to think twice about. Yeah, he's um, a flank. He's, a, he's he's he, he's a flanker, dressed up as a number eight. He is. And, he is. Um, no, 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 no. I, I agree. You know, I agree. Um, but if England are clever, if England are clever, they can they can use his particular skill set, which is unusual. Uh, it, particularly in this day and age, he really is like an old sort of Josh Cromfeld, isn't he? Or a, a, an old, you know, an old Michael Jones. He sort of he has the capacity to play in a different half of the field to all the other pat rowers on the pitch uh, because he's got ter- terrific pace and a real nose for the opportunity. He's playing extremely well. What I would say is that I don't think that the that bot midfield of, of Dialende and Creel is the most creative I've ever seen. But Christ alive. They don't have scramble. I mean, Jesse Creel's sc- scrambling on on Sunday was phenomenal, phenomenal. And he, so even if somebody like Ben Earl doesn't find ways of breaking their line, you can see um, you can see Creel popping up all over the place and all hauling him back. I mean, it's I think it's a tough day out for England, a really tough day out. I don't think they have the confidence seriously to to really believe they can win that game, no matter what they say in public. I don't think it's there for them. Yeah, I think what we did say um, when we were sort of looking ahead to the tournament and the potential semi-finals, which we did say would be a bit lopsided um, inevitably, and obviously that's exactly how it turned out, is that it would have to be the case of the opposition to have gone through wars that England haven't. And don't get me wrong, France, South Africa, it was a battle. It wasn't on physicality level, years and years apart from England versus Fiji. You mentioned Tom Curry and not looking at picture of health. There are some very funny videos circulating online of like Marcus Smith pre-game saying, you know, oh, play fullback against Fiji. That'll be fine. And then it shows him after the game where his lip lip is like below his bottom lip. Um, (laughs) You can't say that England aren't beaten up either, to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, that kind of, I mean, it seems like we've all nailed our colours to the mask because I'm not predicting any upsets either. Everyone's picking Stewart by the sound of things. Is everyone out? I think I, I'm I not totally convinced, but I, I, I give way to the honourable gentleman. I'm sure that will be the, the, the decision. I'm not sure it's exactly the right decision because 
the box will find a way of using that. But um, we'll we'll see. I, I think they will go with Stewart. And at 10, obviously, it will be Farrell. But do we think it should be? He obviously, player of the match of the weekend, I personally think Earl deserved player of the match. But Farrell did play well. Do we think Ford deserves it? Or do we think we stay at Farrell? You've got a semi-final against the box. Are you really going to sit there and say, I oh, know it would be a really bright idea if we went out with our toughest, if we went in without our toughest? The, the, I mean, the I mean, the, the bloke's an absolute, I mean, I don't like the, the word, but I'll use it anyway. The bloke's an absolute warrior. I mean, well, yes, Chris, he's got the, the ultimate George Ford fan. You're saying park George Ford for this one. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to see, I'm perfectly happy to see Owen at 12. I, I I did not buy the the idea that this um, the 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 Ford Farrell thing was was all to blame for the misfires against Samoa. There were myriad problems with that England performance against the Samoans. I just want Farrell on the pitch because he brings more. If you leave him out, you lose more than than it's conceivable to lose. I mean, it it would be self harm. It's like Brexit. It would just be an exercise in yeah, self-harm. No. <laughs> the exercise in self-harm is, if you're trying to play any rugby, is putting Sparrow at 12 because it, it, it doesn't work and it hasn't worked um, since 2017. So I, I, don't, I don't see an argument for Sparrow at 12 at all. I think that Woodward's got it right when he says it's either Ford or Farrell at 10. And um, the choice really is made by the fact that in the quarterfinal, Farrell played played well and, um, and, and has nailed it down. Um, I think that uh, Tuilagi and Marchant, Marchant's a player who's come on during this World Cup. Uh, he's playing better. The irony is, is that he's going to France and won't be available to England for the Six Nations in a few weeks' time. So, you know, I mean, all these uh, um, strange conundrums in uh, in English rugby over over selection, a lot of which is about the fact that there are not all that many players coming through who are really putting their hands up and challenging the 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 incumbents. Um, you know, the midfield has been a problem forever almost now um so uh yeah look there are there are all all sorts of things but i i definitely um i'd say that farrell's sort of he's got a free pass into the side pretty well but um he 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 definitely uh made a difference on on saturday in terms of bringing them back into the game when it looked as if they might blow it uh, so, uh, although he, he's, he's a also tough-minded, yeah. he's a tough-minded so-and-so, isn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I, look, I, mean, I mean, the, the apple doesn't fall far from a tree, and all that kind of thing. I mean, uh, I mean, Andy, Andy Farrell brought a lot of the same attitude. I'm talking about. I'm talking about this is attitudinal stuff now. Yeah, um, he's a competitor. He's a he's a he's a massive competitor. There's no question ferocious. about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's got. There's a bit of the South African mentality about him. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, I mean, for me, it's a sort of prerequisite um, for an international player. 
You've seen a few flaky ones down the years, Nick. Well, there have been, you know, but I mean, the the reality is, is that when you're pulling on your jersey for your country, you know, I mean, you know, commitment is and and um, combativeness are are prerequisites. When people talk about them as if they're sort of, I mean, okay, he's got he's got more of the uh, magic potion perhaps than, uh, than 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 some, but. I don't think uh, it's it's something that England ha- haven't had quite enough of in the last mm. uh, uh, two or three years. Mm. It's, it's, it's I mean, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, none of us know how the, t- the, the tournament's going to pan out ultimately, but that whole number twelve. I mean, it's it's a, it's almost a great. It's it's the what whatever it is. It, it's it's the it's a sort of missing link in rugby at the moment. Uh, nobody, because nobody quite knows exactly what they want from a 12, apart from everything. Hmm. Um, so how do you balance, how do you balance all this stuff up? The well, bloke who, to my eye, makes a massive difference to the All Blacks is Geordie Barrett. When Geordie Barrett yeah. plays it 12, it opens up a whole range of options for them because he can kick long and short, he can pass long and short. He's big enough to get you through the traffic. He's got a playmaker's instincts. His game understanding is off the scale. And yeah, he's yeah. very good. Look at the other three. Jonathan Dante, Damien Dialende, and if he's not there, Andre Esterhazen. And um, who are we missing out? Bundiaki. You know, I mean, <laughs> there are three teams who've decided what sort of 12 that they want. The other team, New Zealand, have got something of a hybrid he's got physicality and he's got great footballing skills as well so um you know uh, i i i just think that england are you know the thinking isn't joined up no thinking isn't joined up that's that that's the biggest problem you know i mean you see other countries take players put them positionally malcolm marks used to be a uh used to be a center mm. You know, I mean, other 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 nations make these transitions much better. We've got a guy, Max Malins, who's who's sort of, you know, sometime winger, sometime fullback, probably a, a fly half who could challenge Marcus Smith for the place over the next three or four years. You know, but he's not, he's he's not playing there. These are the fixes that England that English rugby get itself gets itself into constantly. I hear that Marcus Smith. I've just seen online that Marcus Smith is um, is out of the World Cup with his injuries post Fiji, and they called in Sam Burgess. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was your lot who uh, who who decided to take up the experiment, mate, and made a complete horlicks of it. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Slam in, Sam. Can I also just? point out the absurdity at the moment of, we've been there before Alex Mitchell doing his Ben Young's impressions now he did a very good impression against me he, the impression is getting better his box kicking is getting better but but you've got Ben Young's in the squad you know so you've got a bloke doing a Ben Young's impression when you've got Ben Young's in the squad I don't understand it I don't understand well, what and, England's thinking is there what and the and the speed game that he had you know the, the speed, speed game that's just been tipping hard so you've got Ben Young, but he's just looking a bit thinner and younger and, and sleeker. <laughs> you know, yeah. Ben Young's is in the team, he's in the squad if you want Ben Young's. 
Do, 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 England's coach, do England's coaches actually fly in the face of what every other coach says and say to their players, you're not here because of your club form? You might be onto something there, Chris. I think the yeah. club what? form actually has never been that important with England. Yeah, there's only one reason you're here, lad, and it's nothing to do with how well you're playing. <laughs> exactly. It's mystifying. Anyway. I, I don't get it. But anyway, if they if they somehow won on Saturday, how stupid would we look? But I just don't get it. Yeah. And I'm an Alex Richard fan like you. I I I I'd love them to show up. I, I really, I'm, I'm I'm sure they will actually. I mean, that is one thing that 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 often on these occasions England are. Um, um, when, when England are heavy underdogs, as, as they will be, mm. and it's a semi-final, semi-finals take on a little bit of love. They, they do, they too do tend to constrict even the even the best sides very often. Yeah, I don't uh, think that they they're not going to roll over. That's that that's no, for sure. No, I don't, I don't I don't think they will. I, I just don't think they're as good a side as they were four years ago. Um, no, um, I don't think they're as they're potent in in the number of areas yeah. and. Uh, in some way, and I think in, with the box, in some ways they're not close. No, um, and with the and box, of course, four, the... Years, four years ago, um, ten and twelve were Ford and Farrell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the box, they're doing what New Zealand did. Twenty eleven, that they, they they fell over the line, didn't they? And then, pretty much with the same team, they absolutely obliterated people in twenty fifteen. Now, I think South Africa, they didn't fall over the line last year, but they did lose the first match against New Zealand, and they could easily have lost to Wales in the semi-final. So Indeed. it wasn't by far um, a flawless campaign, but so far, I think they 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 want to rewrite their history books. They want to actually go out as outstanding world champions, and it's going to take a pretty good team to stop them, I think. Mm. I, I, think I think it all goes back to the initial point. In, in, these, in these clutch games... I think the simplicity and clarity around your game plan is is a massive thing, and and the box do fewer things that are capable of going wrong mm. than some other some other slightly maybe slightly more ambitious sides, mm. um, um, and and I, th I think that's a great value. I think we saw it on Sunday, and the pressure they'll put on England on on on. On Saturday, I think we'll force England into try and do trying to do things that they're not particularly comfortable doing, and that's where it begins to go. That's where it begins to go in the South African way. I think that's the way yeah. I would read it. And and if there if 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 um, South African mentality in the past is anything to uh, and in in the recent past <laughs> last Sunday by uh, choosing to scrummage in their own twenty two is anything to go by. They will know where England's Achilles heel is, and that is definitely at the scrum. So they will look, to, we may see uh, quite a few more options <laughs> of scrummaging in their own 22. <laughs> Nick, how's, how's, Dan Cole, how's Dan Cole feeling four years on from sort of his own, his own downfall in Test rugby for a little while because he didn't well. That was well, that final, was it? You'd say, you'd say, huge, hugely motivated. But you know, he is. Um, I think Dan is now, I think, thirty-six. So you know, it's four years, four years on, 
and um he he's he i think he's done well at this world cup you know he's he's managed to become the starting uh tight head um england's best scrummaging uh front row um at the moment is definitely uh for me cole and marla as the props and um but i don't know you know you can't um you know with sinclair and uh and and if Sinclair and Genge were coming off the bench against um and Che and Cock, I wouldn't um I wouldn't be comfortable with that uh, matchup either. He's a phlegmatic soul, is Dan, isn't he? I, I I don't think I don't think four years ago will 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 worry will worry him at all. And actually, I think he got a bit of a rough ride after that game because there was a fair few problems on Makavuna Polo's side against Malev as well in that game. Yeah. Malev yeah, Ma- Ma- was, a, was a big figure in that game. And yeah. as he tends not to be a big figure anywhere else and at the scrum, you can, draw your, you can draw your own conclusions. He really is an old-fashioned, scrummaging, tight head. Um, yeah. and, a, and a bloody good one. A really good one. Yeah. So I think whoever England pick at loose head, um, um, they need to be absolutely on it to well, to to even achieve parity. I think Malev's a big figure, and the deeper you go into a tournament, the bigger a figure he becomes because scrum penalties are vital. Well, I think Marler is Marler at, at his best will you know against Malherb would 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 give him yeah. a difficult uh, afternoon. Yeah. Or evening, but um, it's what happens elsewhere in the England scrum that's uh, that, that's more worrying when Marler is not on the field. Yeah, and you're presuming that Marler won't start as well, so he he'll be coming off the bench to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, selection for England will be out tomorrow, so that'll be interesting. I mean, we spoke about the midfield uh, for once. I think in an England. Um, situation we can predict England starting midfield which is a rarity mm. either way we'll wait for selections and I think we will wrap up there so guys enjoy the semi-finals <laughs> I'm slightly more confident in our predictions this week than I was last week um, <laughs> and I'm kind of hoping that I've just jinxed it to be honest and hopefully we'll come back and see England in a final either way Nick East is joining us next week so either he'll be on the winning side or on the losing side and we'll have the final to look forward to. So thanks so much, guys. The rugby just keeps on coming at the moment and the Guinness Six Nations is just around the corner and will be upon us before we know it. Make it a year to remember by booking official hospitality with our friends at Keith Prowse, principal sales partner to England Rugby Hospitality. Their matchday experiences have a whole range of incredible features from complimentary bars to menus designed by Michelin star chefs, namely Tom Kerridge, Ollie Daboo and Tommy Banks. So, book your experience now and make memories that will last a lifetime. Visit keithprouse.co.uk forward slash Twickenham now. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.